You know uh, what's a beautiful picture when these guys come uh, around after being baptized, Kobe and JV, this football team from Grace Youth Sports, and Coach, man, your heart's got to be... you know, overflowing. Proud of you guys. Proud of you guys. I was proud of you, JV, last week when I saw you get up and come. You know, this, some of these boys just trust in Jesus. They hear the Word of God and they're saying yes to Christ, man. That's what it's about. And um, it's good to have you guys. Good to have your families. Coffee family, thanks for being here and supporting Devin. Um, I'd love to have him back on the football team if we could work that out, please. Um, Great kids, man. They love the Lord. And um, I tell you, we need more godly men and godly young men to come to know Jesus in these days, right? So um, it's good to have you guys here. Thanks for tuning in. If you're out there, welcome to Grace. Um, it's probably okay where you are, but it's better in here. I hope you'll come. I hope you'll visit, all right? Uh, Romans 3, guys, is where we're at today, Romans 3. Before we get deep into it, though, let me remind you a couple things. This is Feeding the 5,000 Week. Uh, we have done what I, I've never seen before. You have been so incredibly generous that we've got more than enough by way of resources, monetarily, and with food. All you got to do is come Wednesday night, come enjoy the free meal anytime between 4.30 and 6. Free meal, Pastor Kevin will tell you about. Come and do the packing party with us. 30, 40 minutes, we'll pack a 1,000 boxes here. It's a beautiful picture of God's people working together. Saturday morning, hopefully 9 o'clock-ish, we'll open the doors, pack this place out. We're going to share Jesus. We're going to feed people physically, feed them spiritually. I guarantee we're going to see some folks saved. And this year, because we're over the COVID hump of the last little bit, we're going to be baptizing. And so make sure you invite folks. Get out there. Let me tell you what's happened here at Grace in the last three months. I don't know if you know this. If you didn't hear me say this at the business meeting Wednesday night, we were just celebrating. I've been at this 22, next year will be my 23rd full-time year in ministry. I'm coming up on 23 years, and we're coming up on our third anniversary here. But in the first three months of grace, by the number of new members we've welcomed, we are on target to welcome over 450 new members this year, and in addition to that, over 230 baptisms uh, is what we're trending for right now. So... Uh, I've personally, in 22, 23 years, never experienced a three-month period like that. So God's hand is on this place. Now remember, when God's hand's on something, the devil's mad as a hornet, right? So don't be stupid. <laughs> don't mess it up. Be good people. Love the Lord. Be honest. Don't be crazy out there on the road. And if you are, take the G-sticker off your car. All right. So um, just be a good witness, all right? Let's work together. Be a good witness. Um, you know, we're talking about uh, this divine plumb line, guys. Let me remind you what that is in case you weren't here. A plumb line is a carpentry tool that when we put up a board or a wall, we're going to show true vertical, right? We have a weight at the bottom, and I've got this in almost UT orange. Uh, the first quarter was great last night, by the way, or yesterday. We won't talk about the last three, but the first one was good. So see this orange line? This is the plumb line. That's the plumb bob. That's the weight. We're not talking about that. It doesn't matter. We're talking about the line. The line is what you go by to get you true vertical. And so what we're learning is that God and his word are the only true vertical. Your opinion's not true vertical. It can vary. It can get all out of whack. What I think, what, what you think, what I feel, what you feel, that's not true vertical. That'll change. 
You've had relationships where you've had feelings, but they change, and things change. And so true vertical is the Word of God and the person of Christ. And so this is our divine plumb line. And, and we're talking about last week, um, good old boys. We said there are none. There are no good old boys. That all of us are guilty before a holy God. And so that leaves me, and I think it leaves everybody, with a big question then. If God is perfect and holy, and his standard is this line, and I know I can't always be straight, right? That I'm going to veer sometimes. I'm going to mess up. Y'all proved that last week when we talked about speeding, right? All of y'all are speeders, a bunch of lawbreakers out here. I'll pray for you. So we proved that we can't keep a perfectly straight line. So that begs the question, then, well, how can I be right with God? If I'm off, if I can't keep the divine plumb line, I'm trying to trust Jesus, I'm trying to read the word, I want to be a good person, but how can I be right with God? Do you guys know that's been a question that has gone on through the ages? It's all over the Bible. In fact, I've given you some scripture, Luke 3, people are hearing John the Baptist preach and they said to him, well, what do we do then? What are we going to do about this? You told us that we need a savior, that we're sinners, so what do we do about it? In fact, the rich young ruler asked Jesus something similar in Matthew 19. He said, good master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, that's an oxymoronic, that's a strange illogical question because listen to this, do to inherit. You don't do anything to inherit. To inherit, you have to be in the right family. And so he asked that question, what do I do to inherit? In, in Acts 2, Peter's preaching, and the people respond. They say, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? How can we respond to this truth of God? In Acts 22.10, Paul was recalling his testimony on the Damascus Road, and he said, he cried out before the Lord, what shall I do, Lord? What are you asking of me? The Philippian jailer asked Paul and Silas, sirs, what must we do to be saved? There's a common theme in all of those questions. What do I do? Okay, God, if you're perfect and I'm not, and I'm off skew here, but you want me to align with you, what do I do? The problem is in the question. Because the answer is not in the doing, the answer is in being. Look at the question How can I be right with God? And I'm going to tell you today there's nothing you can do to be right with God. That should not frustrate you. That should allow you to raise the white flag of surrender in your life and to say, God, I give up. It is at the point you give up that God takes over. It is at the point that you lay it down that God picks it up. You see, we only get one go at this life, and I know there are some cynical people listening to me right now saying that can't be right. I heard about a guy who bought a new refrigerator. His old one was really okay, still working, so he wanted to give it away. He didn't want to just chunk it, so he put it out in his yard and he put a sign on it. It said, free to a good home. You want it, you take it. Well, for three days and three nights, the fridge sat there and nobody even stopped to look at it. Eventually, he decided people were too untrusting. They figured the fridge must be a hunk of junk, so he took the sign off, put a new sign on, and the new sign said, fridge for sale, $50. That night, somebody stole it. <laughs> because people think if it's free, it's too good to be true. And this thing called salvation, what God wants you to have, it is free to you, but it costs Jesus his life. So people get cynical. They think, no, 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 no. I got to clean some things up. I got to get right. Then I'll come to God. That is foolishness. You cannot align yourselves apart from Jesus Christ. And accepting him changes everything. Most of us, though, get skeptical. 
We come to a passage like this and we're reminded that we are totally depraved in our condition and conversation and conduct. And according to the Bible, there are no good old boys and we all stand condemned before a holy God and we're all silenced by our sin. Romans 3, 9 to 20 is saturated with the stench of sin. But what we'll see the next few weeks is in verse 21 and following, we see the sweet showers of salvation. And we're going to move from guilt to grace and from God's wrath to God's righteousness. And it may seem too good to be true. And I'm going to hold a big sign that says free. If you want it, take it. And some of you are going to say, no, 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 no. I must pay a price. And I'm here to tell you Jesus has already paid the price. This section of scripture has been called the heart of the Bible. Leon Morris, the theologian, said this is possibly, he's speaking of what we're reading today, this is possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. The reformers called this the marrow of the Bible. And you're going to be hard-pressed to find any other passage as meaty and profound. So let me focus on 21 and 26 this week and next week. And then I'm going to conclude this series with a two-part sermon called Pride and Prejudice. It's a very important sermon series, a mini-series. But here we're going to talk about righteousness for a few minutes, okay, guys? And before we dig into the outline, we've got to unpack the word, because it's a big word, righteous or righteousness. It's used no less than 228 times in the New Testament, 40 of those times being in the book of Romans alone. Forty times God uses this word. We read in Matthew 5, 6, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Now, y'all know what it means to hunger and thirst, but what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Let me explain it. Where do we start with this word, right? Let's write it down. The basic meaning of the word righteousness is in the straight or the right way. Now, again, when you think about my illustration for this series, I'm trying to explain what is the straight way, what is the right way. Way. And what I'm telling you is this plumb line is not you. This is not your opinion or your feelings. This line is the Lord himself. Jesus, the living word, and the Bible, the written word. This is your plumb line because you only know about Jesus through the word of God and the spirit of God that is enlightening the word of God. And so this is in a straight or right way. But you then say, well, what's the right way in this world, man? Everybody's got their opinion. Oh, you do what's right for you, and you do what's right for you. And Oprah Winfrey theology that says, well, God is on the mountain, and you choose your path, and they choose their path, or you could go around the back, and there are many ways to get to God. And the Bible says, eh, wrong. There are not many ways to get to God. In fact, you couldn't take one step toward God on your own. So God up there came down here. That's what we're about to celebrate at Christmas. God became flesh, and in Jesus we see God because he and the Father are one. And so Christianity uniquely says, no, 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 there's not many paths to God. God became man. God came where we were, just like our first parents, all of our first parents, Adam and Eve. They sinned. They did what God said not to do. And they didn't come running back toward God. Oh, God, accept us. Take us back. No, man. Adam and Eve hid behind the very trees God created to feed them. They were hiding there in shame. And God initiated the relationship. God left the throne of heaven and came back to them and said, hey, where are you? What have you done? Now, he wasn't asking because he didn't know. He was asking them to step out. 2,000 years ago, God did the same thing when he so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. 
And he is the only true vertical. He is the only standard. And so we're asking God to show us his righteousness because his character reveals what is absolutely right. He alone is the measure of right and wrong. God alone is the measure of right and wrong. That's why I keep telling you, don't compare yourself to other people. Somebody's going to be worse than you, and you're going to feel too good. And somebody's going to be better than you, and you're going to feel too bad. So quit comparing yourselves horizontally. Compare yourself to God. You say, but pastor, if I compare myself to God, I'm going to feel terrible. No, you're not. Not once you're robed in the righteousness of Christ, and you realize that when God sees me, he sees Jesus first. And so it's different And how do we know the character of God? Well, by the word of God. And it almost seems too good to be true. I mean, when we read this, we say nobody's righteous. No one seeks God. Everybody turns aside. What comes out of our mouth is just like poison, and we are full of destruction and misery, and it's as bad as you can possibly imagine. But now. Two little words. But now. That's where we start today. It's really bad, but now. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. Romans 3, picking up verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, apart from do this, don't do that, is revealed. And this righteousness is witnessed by the law and prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Look at this. To all and on all who believe. Everybody that wants it gets it. For there is no difference. For all Jews, Gentiles, tall, short, American, Russian, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified freely by his grace. By the way, next week I'll unpack all these big words. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, look, at the present time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That's a lot to take in. Let's pray and get at it. Lord, we love you and we thank you for the day. Thank you for lives being changed. I look at these young men in front of me and my heart is flooded with joy because I see, I see coaches pouring in and families and I see real heart change and life change and I pray that you put these guys on a path to be mighty men of God, soldiers in the army of Christ and not just good citizens of this nation but great citizens of your kingdom so that they will one day love their wives as Christ loved the church, that they will honor you, that they will be good to the kids you may bless them with, and that you would have your hand upon their families today and their children and their children's children as we were singing the other week. God, we love you and we thank you for offering us your righteousness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, guys, so let me give you a couple of quick things here. Righteousness, first and foremost, is from God. I'm going to give you five truths, this week three, next week two. They all build on the other, but we've got to start in the right place. Righteousness, being right, being aligned, is from God. Verse 21, but now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. That's repeated in verse 22. Even the righteousness of God, of 
God, the right standard of God, since no one is born righteous, the only source of righteousness is God himself. Verses 25 and 26, he talks about demonstrating his righteousness through Christ, through big words like propitiation, which I'll unpack next time. God is showing his righteousness. Look at this. He demonstrates right now at the present time his righteousness. It's his, not ours. See, when we begin to think about our walk with the Lord, from our perspective alone, we can become become selfish. We can focus on how God benefits us, almost like he's some cosmic genie in a bottle. And if we rub him the right way, he does what we ask. But if we don't know how to rub him right, then he doesn't respond. That is not our God. That is not the God of the Bible. He's so much greater than that and so much better than that. And you can't understand righteousness, and you certainly can't understand grace if you start with you or if I start with me. I've wrote it like this, just big words. Always start with theology, not anthropology. What is theology? Theos. Theology, study of God. Always start with God. Or you could say Christology. Always start with Christ. They're the same. Jesus is God. So you have God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, God the Holy Spirit. Always start with him, not with me, right? I know Michael Jackson said I'm starting with the man in the mirror, but when it comes to Christianity, that's a horrible place to start. Don't start with the man in the mirror. Start with the God of Scripture. I want you to think about it like this, okay? Imagine that I am a passenger on a big ship. And I'm sailing in the North Atlantic, maybe from Europe over to New York. But kind of like the Titanic, my ship goes down. And maybe I'm the lone survivor. Maybe I'm the only guy out there bobbing up and down in the North Atlantic with my life jacket. Now, one of two things is likely going to get me. The cold and hyperthermia or sharks, right? Something that's going to eat me. And so I'm out there and I'm praying for help. And all of a sudden on the horizon, I see a ship. But he's not really coming my way, but somehow on the deck of that ship, there's a sailor that happens to see me out there bobbing. And so the captain diverts the ship, and he comes to where I am, and he slows down, and they stop, and they actually pick me up. Now imagine how I'm going to be thrilled to be alive. Imagine how I'm going to be overjoyed. But what if I think that the only purpose of that ship was to come out to the North Atlantic and save me? It was just a regular old cargo ship doing what cargo ships do. If I think that the whole purpose of that ship was to save me, I may tell the captain, hey, buddy, I need you to go on and take me to New York. And he says, well, I'm not going that way. Yeah, yeah, I know. But I need you to go my way now. That's not at all going to work. I can't get so arrogant to think that the whole purpose of that vessel was just to meet my needs. And when we make this mistake with God, we think God becomes our cosmic servant there to meet our needs. And while we are the beneficiaries of salvation, and while God had planned our salvation from the beginning of time, even before man existed, he knew about the cross, it would be wrong for us to think we can order him around and tell him just what we want. You see, in order to proclaim his righteousness and promote his purposes, God gives us his righteousness. In order for his glory... Not just for our good. In fact, it doesn't start with our good. It starts with his glory. So we are theological and theocentric and doxological rather than anthropocentric. That's why when people argue about music in churches, it always kills me. That's why I I, I told the story. Somebody asked me the other day, what was that story you told about Holly? So I'll just repeat it. Love you, Holly. 
Holly was upset one day after church, and Holly came into my office in, in Florida, and she said, I didn't like that song or set. I can't remember, but I didn't like that. And I said, good, and I kept working. She said, Dad, you didn't hear me. Do your teenagers ever elongate their vowels? Dad. Uh, okay, Holly, yeah, I know. You didn't like it, so what? Well, I, I just think you ought to know. They think somehow being my child has privileges. <laughs> no. And I said, I don't care. And she said, well, you don't understand what I'm saying. I said, no, I understand exactly what you're saying, but here's the thing. They weren't singing for you or to you or about you, so it doesn't matter what you think about it. Did God enjoy the worship or not? If it's biblical, yes. If it's not biblical, no. If it's biblical, then it put a smile on his face. If it's not of God, then no. Because sometimes we get so about what I like. Now, she's matured a lot now. She would never say that anymore, right? Yes, sir? Yes, sir. You're good? You ready for me to take another story? Do you want me to talk about one of your siblings? Okay. Yes? Okay. So the reality is that when we ever, ever think it's about us, we're already in the wrong place. I know a lot of you right now are freezing to death. I can tell because you're like this. I'm burning up right now. I'm just be honest with you. I was cold earlier, but now I've gotten hot. So see, it's a matter of what you think and what I think. And to me, I'd say turn it down, man. To y'all, you're like, why don't we pay the heat bills in this church? I get it. But I've discovered it's harder for you to sleep when I preach if your teeth are chattering, so thank you. <laughs> Righteousness is from God, meaning this. Number two, righteousness is not based on our works. It's not based on what we do or don't do consequently. So we see this. The righteousness of God is revealed apart from from the law. That's what 21 says, apart from the law. Because you can't keep enough law to be perfect. James tells us that if we stumble at one point of the law, we break it all. Meaning that if I've ever told an untruth, I'm a liar and I've broken God's top 10, his 10 commandments. And every one of us admits that at times we've lied or at times we've lusted or at times we maybe have coveted or at times we've put something else in God's place and made it first. And so we've all broken God's law, and so this is not about how well can I keep God's law. It is understanding that it's not by keeping the law that I'm made right with God. So it's not about what can I do. It's about what has already been done. Habakkuk, the great prophet of the Old Testament, and I'm going to preach that book here one day. It's a great little book. Habakkuk said this, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. Not by works, by faith, trust, belief. Now, I know a lot of people think Paul invented that in Romans. He didn't. Habakkuk said it. The just, the righteous shall live by faith. Well, how do I do that? The Chinese character that make up the word righteousness are very interesting. Because there are two separate pictures, two separate characters. One is a lamb, a young sheep, a little lamb. The other one is the character for me or myself. And in, Ch in the Chinese writing of this style, when you put the character of the lamb above me, you actually form a new word called righteousness. And I think it's a perfect picture. Because when we think about it, I am unable to be right with God on my own. But between me, the sinner, and God who is holy is interposed a lamb 
And if I will trust in that lamb, then what God chooses to give me is his righteousness. So when he looks at me, he doesn't just see me and all of my stench and filth. He actually sees the righteousness of Christ by virtue of his sacrifice. All sin, past, present, and future, is washed away, not covered, cleansed, done away with. That's why when we baptize, we lay them down in the likeness of Christ's death, and we raise them in the likeness of his resurrection, saying, old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And that's the picture of being born again. And if you don't know Jesus, you need to be born again. What did you do to be born the first time? Uh, nothing. We have a lot of birthdays here today. We have a lot of people celebrating birthdays in grace today, which is awesome. But you didn't do anything. It just happened. What do you do to be born again? You just surrender nothing. You say, Lord, I lay it all down. And just like a birthday present, you either receive it or reject it. You don't do anything to deserve it. You just happen to be born this day. We're glad you're born, but you just happen to be born this day. And you either take that and say, thank you, I received that, or you say, no, thank you, I reject that. So too is it with God's righteousness and God's salvation. Either you receive it, and you say, because the lamb stands between me and God, I receive what he's done, or you reject it. It's really not that complicated. Righteousness is from God. It's not based on our works. So what is it based on then? Well, it's based on the grace of God. I love the name of our church because it's a reminder all the time that we don't have what we have because of us, but in spite of us. God's righteousness, his perfect straight line standard is a target I'll never hit on my own. It is a gift I'll never earn nor deserve. But verse 24 says that we are justified freely by his grace. I'll talk about justification next week. But what that essentially means is that we're given to salvation without any cause in us, freely. No strings attached. Forgiveness is given to those who don't deserve it to us who deserve condemnation, but this is grace. You've heard this acronym, I just wanted to remind you about it, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. See, it's not free to you. I mean, it's free to you, but it wasn't free to Jesus, it cost him his life. I preached a message last week for Veterans Day called Freedom Isn't Free. And we know in the context of military that these men and women sacrifice, some paying the ultimate price for our freedom. We don't have freedom because it's free. Freedom's hard, but freedom in Christ is free to us, but it costs the Lord everything. It's God's riches at Christ's expense. It is unmerited favor, but it's even more than that. It is God's free favor bestowed on us who deserve condemnation at the cost of his son. Romans 5 puts it this way, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ dies for us? That's what the Bible says. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works. Because you know what will happen if we earn it, right? Hey, you see how cool my mansion's going to be up there? God's probably going to put two or three layers of gold on my sidewalk. He really needs me. God really needs you. God really needs me. 
God really needs Grace Baptist Church. No, 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 no. God gives us the privilege of joining him on mission. God gives us the joy of working together. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And by the way, God owns the hills too, right? God owns it all, man. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above with whom there's no variation nor shadow of turning. Everybody you love, everything you love. You boys love football? I love football. I love football. I was at the game yesterday. It was great for a little while. I love football. Have you ever thought about this? Football is a gift from God. Did you know you could bust heads in Jesus' name? Now, don't hurt them permanently. Just get them out of the game, okay? Don't hurt them forever. And you can ask for forgiveness. Listen. Football is a gift. Music. I love music, too. I love all kinds of music. Music's a gift from God. Do you know that? He got a guy in the Bible named Jubal. It's where we get the word jubilation. God give a gift of music. If you like it, that's a gift from the Lord. So every good and perfect thing, everybody you love, every man, the sunrise this morning, y'all, you got to get up early. You got to see that, man. She opened the curtain in the bedroom this morning. Our house, back of the house, looks over the water and faces the ridge east, due east, and man, God painted the sky pretty today. I'll talk to you next week about our drive last week through Cades Cove, but man, have you seen the artist this year? God's painting those trees with all those colors. I know, scientists, I know you can talk about chlorophyll and all of that other jazz, and you can give me all the scientific explanations in the world, but somebody got this thing started, and somebody's painting those trees in that sky. You can try to explain it away, but at some point, you can't explain away the cause of all things. And so what we find is that God is giving us this gift, this righteousness, meaning this. He's the one that makes us right with him. Righteousness is a gift from God. It is not based on our works. It is based on the grace of God. And next week we'll see the rest. But I want to close with a little video. I love these guys. I love, the, I love guys that don't take themselves too seriously but take the gospel seriously. And the skit guys are two brothers that don't take themselves too seriously, but they are deadly serious about the gospel. I know you know this story. It occurs at the end of John's gospel, okay? And you're going to see these guys sort of act it out, and parts of it are funny, which is cool, but it really makes the point, what is God's grace? Do I deserve it? Can I have it? You guys watch this for a few minutes. Grace is God's unmerited favor for us, his crazy love. And the truth is, many times we struggle understanding it. If you find yourself struggling to understand God's grace, don't beat yourself up. Even the disciples struggled with understanding grace. Jesus said you, you're alive, I can't believe you're alive. Okay, I was in the boat and I wasn't catching any fish, okay? But I heard this voice and the voice said, cast your net to the other side. And so I'm thinking, I'm a fisherman, I know what I'm doing, but I'm not catching any fish, you know? And so I throw that net over there and then a gaggle of fish pop into that net and I'm going, this is a total miracle. Who could have done that? I need to know who told me to throw the net to the other side. And boom, I look up and I mean, there is you. You're looking at me on the seashore going, it is I, the Lord, and you're alive. I can't believe you're alive. <laughs> this is awesome. Andrew, get out of the boat, come on. Peter, yeah. do you love me? Yes, I love you. I love you. You're alive. This is so great. Good, hey. then feed my sheep. Andrew, get out of the boat. Come on, man. It's him. Peter, Yeah. do you love me? I love you. Yes. 
and I'm so sorry about that rooster cluck, and I had no idea what that meant, but I do not. I'm better for it, all right? Okay. Then feed my sheep. Andrew, I'm smiling, but I'm serious. Come on, get out of the boat. It's him. Peter. Yeah. Do you love me? Jesus, mere words cannot describe the passion that I have for you. I love you. You know everything. I love you. Good. Good. Then feed my sheep. I didn't even know you had livestock. That is so like you, though. There's something new about you all the time. That's what I love about you. Peter, yeah. do you remember uh, the morning the ladies went to the tomb? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're all in the upper room trying to figure out what to do next, you know, because we thought you were dead. You know, you were dead, you know, and we're trying to figure all that out, you know. And Mary comes running up, and Mary's like saying, beehive, beehive, beehive. And I'm thinking, I'm allergic to bees. Like, keep them out. You know what I'm saying? But as she kept getting closer, I heard her correctly. She was saying, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. And we're going, who's alive, who's alive? And she said, she was at the tomb, and the tomb was empty. And she said that the, there was an angel there. And the angel said, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay, he is risen. And so me and John, we hightailed it down there. And if John says he beat me, he's totally lying, all right? I beat him, FYI, all right, you know? And we get down there, and I'm looking in that tomb, and it is, it is empty. There's nothing in there, you know what I'm saying? And I'm like, what does this mean? What does this mean? And John is right there. John is so good with words. He should write a book. He is so good with words. And John said, don't you get it, Peter? This is everything Jesus said he was going to do, and you did it, and it's done. Let's go. This is so great. Wait, yeah. the angel said what? Uh, go tell the disciples and Peter that everything is okay. He is risen. You've risen. Let's go. This he is said what? Go tell the disciples and Peter. Go tell the disciples and Peter. You said my name. Why did you say my name? Peter, that's grace. No, no, I don't, I don't deserve that because that night people kept coming up to me asking me if I belonged to you, if I was with you, and I kept denying you left and right, all right? No, it'll take me my whole life to make up for what I did. It was unforgivable for no, what I did. No, What I did on the cross was meant to take what is unforgivable and make it forgivable. That's my grace. It's not about you. It's always about me. That's grace, Peter. I wonder if anybody else here, sort of like our friend Peter, anybody ever denied the Lord by your words or your actions or maybe even your inaction? Anybody ever brought shame upon yourself and the Lord Jesus who made you in his image? If you've lived long enough, you have, and I have. And yet, what God wants to do is say, you know what? It's never been about you anyway. I am the God of another chance. You blew your first one, Long time ago, you blew your second one. And I'm not counting. I'm just here today to tell you I'll give you another chance. Here's one thing I know with absolute certainty. If you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, today is the day that you can be born again. What do I do? No, 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 no. You simply say, I receive. 
And I'm here to tell you that if you are born again, if you are my brother and sister, for some of you, this is the day you come back. Because the way you're living is not the way God designed you to live. And I can tell you with absolute certainty that while God may give you another chance, he'll never give you this one again. There's only one November 14th, 2021, and it will never come around again. The fact that we had funeral services yesterday for a young man, a recent graduate of our school, reminds me that life is but a vapor. Here today and gone tomorrow. And the cry of my heart for every person in this room and every person that would be listening or watching now or later is that you are confident in the day you stand before your creator, your maker, that you will stand robed in the righteousness of Christ. Because if you stand on your own, your works will fail you. If you're a Christian here today, aren't you grateful for the amazing grace of God? Jesus gave Peter another chance. And Jesus gave me another chance. And Jesus is giving you another chance. This chance this day, in this moment, and won't you put your hand by faith in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus, trusting that he and he alone is the way to be right with God? How? How? How can I be right with God? Raise the white flag of surrender, lay it down, and say, I will try no more. I will simply trust, and by faith, you can be saved today. Stand with me. Uh, it's, it's too good to be true. Don't be cynical. Be surrendered. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. If you want to come today and receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, as soon as this formal invitational time is over, Miss Cindy and I are standing right here and pastors and counselors are with us. I know a lot of folks don't particularly want to come and make something public here. I get it. You can come and pray. You can seek God's face here at this altar. But at the conclusion, as has been happening week after week after week, you can come and get one of us right over here Everybody here is waiting for you. You can say, I need to nail this down. Or I need to come back. Or I need to join this church. Man, you guys are you're doing some truth in here. And you guys are making a difference. And I want to be a part of that. I always want to be a part of something bigger than me. We're leaving this afternoon for Nashville to be a part of the Tennessee Baptist Convention. The summit of that convention. I was asked to serve on the board of this convention, and I'm honored to do so if elected, and I simply want to let my life be spent for the glory of God and the good of other people, knowing that God does not need me. But if he should call and want me, I am here, ready to serve, because you get one shot at this, folks. Shirley MacLaine is wrong. You're not cycling back through as a butterfly. You get one go at it, brother. One go at it, sister. So make it count. Make the most of it. 
And as I pray, if you feel led to come, maybe just to thank God, pray, whatever it is you want to lay before the Lord, you do it. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We praise you for changing hearts, for touching lives. I'm grateful to see these young men today that have stepped up. Lord, they're, they're already leaders. They're athletes that others are looking to and I pray for these kids and I pray for their families and I pray God that you would use them and I pray that you would use us all for your glory that you use us all for your praise there's gonna be a lot of folks sitting here next Saturday that have never stepped foot in this church some of whom have likely never stepped foot in any church but it's not where they stand or sit that's gonna make the difference it is the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God that are going to make the difference. And I pray that truth will pour forth in this place and many will have their eternal destiny changed. But you can do that right here and right now. So do what only you can and we'll be sure you get the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.